Welcome to The Restless Midlifer, the podcast for those of us looking to rediscover the adventure in life. Find out more at restlessmidlifer.com. Hi there, fellow Restless Midlifers. It's episode 39. Now, today I have an interview, um, but unfortunately, we, <laughs> it's in two parts, and I'm not sharing the first part with you because of the sound problems that we had. The reason we had to break it up was because of internet issues, uh, largely around me having moved house and things not being quite right, decorators in knocking things off, power off, and what have you. Um, so, having listened back to the part one, um, after we'd recorded the part two several days later, in which we assumed we would just continue on, I realised that part one is unusable. Now, this interview is with Nev Timemouth, who's a friend and uh, business development uh, expert, trainer and a coach. And it was a great interview. And I think part two in particular has a lot in there as well. So I thought I'd share that with you. Um, and at some point we'll get Nev back on to do uh, <laughs> a follow-up interview. But you'll hear mention from in the part two, you know, in the interview, which is ostensibly was part two, uh, mention of uh, motor racing um, uh, and um, a tattoo. Now, the tattoo we do go back to and uh, get clarification on. But in effect, Nev is, who, for me, he's the epitome of the restless midlifer. Somebody who has actually embraced that spirit of adventure and is hanging on to it and, and, and leveraging it. Uh, I've known Nev a long time and as well as being really effective as a coach. So we do, sh- he does share some insights and thoughts on that. Um, it's his, his adventures that he's embarked on. So one of the adventures was as um, a motor racing driver, which is the story that you miss in uh, in part from the part one. But the essence of it, as good as the story is, the essence of it is, I do comment on this, the fact that his light, his eyes light up and sparkle when he talks about it. And I think this is the essence of the spirit of the restless midlifer is that how often, how many things do we have in our life where we get that spark in our in our soul, in our eyes, whatever, from the things we do. And that's really what I want to encourage us all to do. And it doesn't mean you have to sack your job off or burn, you know, as, as I mentioned in the, the part of this interview, uh, chuck a grenade into your life. It's about rediscovering and testing and finding the things that give you that sense of, yes, I love this in life and reclaiming it in small but significant ways and then expanding it if you can within your life. So that's, that's what you've missed effectively in the first part. Um, and I'll hand over to, uh, me on the interview with Nev, and I hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Take care for now. Before we get into the episode, hop over to therestlessmidlifer.com to register your commitment to living a restless midlife and get an early heads up to the courses, resources and forthcoming Restless Midlifer community and planning programs and events to support you in rekindling the spirit of the restless midlife, reintroducing the adventurous spirit into your life. Your story about the motor racing. One of the things that I loved about it was um, the, the the glint in your eye. To be honest, and the smile, and the, the that it's that spirit of adventure that I think is really what the restless midlife is about. It's about either protecting whatever's left of it, the vestige of it, or trying to rekindle that little ember um, and trying to just foster it because I think it's so easy to put that side of things on hold. In order to, you know, work, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and that—that's—that's that's what we're 
we're trying to get at. And when we were talking about the things that we did when we were kids, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what was it that, that lit your fire, you know? Um, yeah. And it seems to me that you've, the, the adventures that you've been on or the things that you've done, you've, you've tried to keep in touch with that and, and embrace it where you can, um, you know? Yeah, I think on reflection, David, it's not until you pause and chat about these things that you realise some of the things that you've done. And it's, I think for me, that, and I reflected on this and actually having a little bit of a break so I have time to think between the two. Right. I think it's fascinating. So, so for some people, uh, they will have some kind of self-doubt. We all have this kind of, you know, am I good enough to do that? Am I capable of that? Is that beyond my grasp? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, other people, and you know, um, if somebody sat listening to this, you, you, you might be thinking this way, um, that little bit about um, sometimes people, you know, around you tell you you aren't capable of things and it's not going to happen. And, and, and everybody reacts differently and everybody has those little things. And, you know, a number of the things that I've done kind of come back to the fact that either I've told myself I can't do something or it's beyond my grasp or somebody around me said, oh, actually, that might be a bit of a stretch and that might not... Um, you know, being your oh god, a horrible expression. Being your wheelhouse, that might not be your kind of thing. Yeah. And I think I, I love to prove others wrong and prove myself wrong. And I was thinking about this and did some daft examples, Dave. That you know, I published a book five years ago. I I actively rebelled against English. My dad, bless him, was an English teacher, and I ended up at his school where he was deputy head, then head. So what did I do to kind of push back against that, as you would as a teenager? I just switched off from English. I, was, I, I really didn't learn English well. And, and bless him, my dad's no longer around. And he, he, he wasn't around, unfortunately, to see the book published. But I think he would be gobsmacked to think right now that his yeah. son who was like, oh, my God, he, 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 you know, I was in CSE group, not even G, uh, not even O-level group. I was kind of, you know, I just wasn't getting English. And I've gone on to publish a book and I'm, you know, hoping to publish perhaps one or two more. So it, it's it's about... I suppose challenging, stretching, not accepting, being ready to get up and go, and and just to push the boundaries. Where can you get to if you really try? Yeah, yeah, and I think this is this is the whole point of it is just to even sow a seed to think actually you can, yeah. you know, you, or you can at least consider it and then see what happens. Whereas I think a lot of us we fall into automatic pilot and just silence that voice. You know, it's a little yeah. switch on the dial or a bleeper that's going, and you kind of ignore it or turn it off but it never goes away does it and no I, th- I think lots of people have these uh, you know uh, sort of drives and desires and they want to go and do stuff and it's it's amazing we either consciously put stuff in our way so we can we're, we're aware of the fact that, oh i definitely don't have time or or unconsciously we, we we avoid the things that we really want to do and i i must admit you know it's taken me a long time to like it does for a lot of people but I'm starting to recognize when I'm reaching on those moments of I'm avoiding this, but I really want to do it. It's really for me. I really want to go and do. And, you know, I, you and I share a little bit of a background. You introduced me to a, a fabulous singing teacher. Oh, yes, Maggie. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I, I've always wanted to sing, not for a band or not to get up on stage. I just want to sing for me. I, I love my driving. and We've talked about this, you know, but, but actually just sitting in the car and being able to sing along to some of my favorite music. And I, for years, had told myself I couldn't do that because lots of people around me said, oh, you can't sing, you're out of tune, you can't hold it. And, and I'm still I'm still progressing, I'm still learning. But I've learned so much about myself beyond the singing by, by taking on something that I thought was completely outside of my grasp and my reach. 
and you know, I've learned about overcoming uh, adversity. I've learned about resilience. I've learned about uh, listening to your internal critics and dealing with them. I've learned so many things, as well as the ability to warble along to one of my favourite tracks while I'm in the car while the roof's down. That's brilliant. That's got to be a win. That's got to yeah. be a win. Yeah, I mean that that's a great example, isn't it? Because we both were talking over a pint, and I happened to mention that I was I was getting some some singing lessons. And bless her, she's got her work cut out, Maggie, for, with me. But exactly <laughs> that, yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly that. That I grew up always. You know, I, I've got the guitar somewhere. Well, I've moved around a bit, but the mm. guitar's somewhere in here. Um, and you know that that wanting to play, but also play and sing, and then believing I couldn't, you know, just growing up, being told I was tone deaf, and, you know, yeah. technically I think there are some people, a small poor, poor population that are, I'm definitely not tone deaf, but it's a skill, and it's a lot. Actually, what I learned with Maggie was that um, if you can get past yourself talk, there's a lot of it about the breathing, isn't there, and the relaxation. It's Absolutely. Actually, Yes. Yeah. And and it, that's a perfect example of how, where you just allow yourself to go, hmm, maybe I know what I think is true, but what if it isn't? Or what if it's less true than I think? Yes. And um, and it's hard work. Don't get me wrong. I am having to practice. And, you know, um, <laughs> but. I, I, I say Maggie's a bit of a, a taskmaster, but in, in a really, yeah. really yeah. good and productive way. Uh, you know, and, and it is, it's, you know, that self talk, that confidence, that unconscious mind saying that you can't but also the physical stuff uh, and you know if i talk about some of the stuff that i've learned as a as a restless uh, midlife that kind of gone through this journey one of the things that's fascinating is you know the mindfulness that comes from focusing on something that's a bit of a challenge singing yeah um you know so, so last night i had something to do and and while it was on it was like oh i'm going to put an album on and i remember playing over and over and again at university and just that mindfulness bit of now being able to sing that slightly better and a bit more in tune and a bit more, um, you know, like a singer almost. And that just puts you in such a brilliant headspace. It lifts your mood. It boosts mm. how you feel. You know, I had to grind through some really hard admin type work last night and it was, it, it was almost a joy to whiz through it mm. because the music's on and it's support and helping. So there's, you know, there's so many little things that people get when they're prepared to step outside the comfort zones and, and try and delve into something new that stretches and develops. And that's that's one of my philosophies, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a learned thing because I, I still you, – you mentioned about doing you, – you put off doing the thing. And I still find myself doing that. I'll just get this done or I'll just do that. And then there's a point where I catch myself and go, you're doing it again. <laughs> you know, yes. yes, you've got this stuff to do. But it's not gonna. The house isn't gonna burn down. You know, you're not gonna. The business isn't gonna set. You know, burn down. Just park that and focus on the thing you want to do, or the yeah. things that you want to do in order to move forward or achieve that goal of practice. You know, whatever it is. But it's it's almost like there's a, there is a sense of comfort, and I, I know people we talk about comfort zones and all of that kind of thing. But I think there is a sense of comfort in those familiar, safe things that we do in order to stay busy and justify not in a very rational way. Like, I'll just get this sorted, then I'll have attention, and then I'll be able to. But the truth is, there's always stuff to sort. There's always one more sprout to sweat, I see. You know, there is always well, there sprouts. Is, there, there is, and, you know, they, they, they build up, and they, they're all around you, and it, it's it's really tempting to wallow in that and hang on to the sprouts and, and, and keep going because they are comfortable and familiar. And I don't think, and this is a thing, I'm not, you know, hey, this isn't a kind of a, a well-defined piece of research I'm going to share now. 
I, I don't think any of us would operate really well if we lived our lives completely outside of our comfort zone all no. the time. Yeah. I, I think we'd all fall apart quite, quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite expressions, so we talked about, uh, you know, at the start of the session where we said, you know, there's nothing in life you have to do. My, my second favorite expression, if I'm honest, Dave, is um, your true potential exists outside your current comfort zone. Uh, and when I've l looked at that and, and kind of, you know, tried to live to that piece, you know, some of the things that I go off and do, I'm, I'm not instantly comfortable with. Um, I remember going on, uh, you know, before podcasting became really popular, I went on a business radio show for a little independent uh, regional radio station. It was a three-hour show, which was like, oh, my God, it's three hours. But business talk and records, and it was, ah, oh, that's really good. And at the end of the show, I remember the guy who was running it, Andrew, said to me, he said, um, you really enjoyed it. I said, oh, I loved it. It was great fun. I really enjoyed that kind of live in the moment kind of discussion and how different things spark off and take you down. different. I, I, that's, that's me. That brings me to life. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I'm taking a bit of a break. Do you fancy running the show? And I was like, I can't run a radio show. I don't know how to drive a desk. I don't know how this thing works. I haven't got time. And the more I talked to myself about it, I remember driving back down. I was in, in Annick and driving back down to uh, Washington, where I lived. I'm driving back down. I phoned my wife, and she was like, oh, it's too far away, and you got too busy, and yeah, 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 yeah. And then she said, but you really want to do it, don't you? I was like, yeah, I do. We'll just go and do it. And I think it's that bit about, yeah, the business isn't going to burn down. Do you know what? I probably could have made the business more money. Well, I would have done, let's be honest, if I'd given that afternoon to do some business stuff. But, hey, I want to have fun. We're here for a good time, not a long time. And I think it was just one of those things where you go, it's outside my comfort zone. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to do something different. And I ran the show for about six months, I think, a three-hour right. show, driving the desk, having guests, playing music, running about, occasionally losing the news, which wasn't very good when you're on a radio station and you don't know where you put the news and how you get it back <laughs> and where it's gone. Or, you know, you lose the weather or just the yeah. little things that make live broadcasting fun. And that's, that's the bit for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's the immediacy of that self-talk, but being able to um, to look a little bit below and think, well, there is something I would like to do this, actually, because you, you, I don't know what there's a quote. I think it's Mike Tyson says it, you know, it, you know, in terms of getting to where you want to be, I'm going to butcher his quote, but it's like you've got to do the things you hate as if you love them. And part of it is, I mean, that's an extreme kind of example, but yeah. the part is in order to do the thing you want to do, you have to embrace some of the stress that's involved in new things, in new processes, in being live and, oh my God, what do I do, you know? Yes. And I found that certainly with speaking and training, it was quite anxiety raising in the early years, you know, and that putting yourself in front of it, but there was something about it I liked and loved and, and found I enjoyed, I found it fulfilling. So, and then you eventually get yourself through that. That's that stretch zone, and then your comfort zone changes a bit, doesn't it? It, it does. And, you know, you and I share, uh, you know, a passion for speaking and training and coaching. And, you know, there's times when um, it, very rarely, I'm going to say this, very rarely I found myself on stage in front of a reasonable audience feeling reasonably comfortable. But the vast yeah. majority of the time, it, 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 it feels a stretch. It feels a challenge. It's, you know... Um, there's a little bit of self-doubt. What happens if? And you know, oh my God, how do I cope with? And 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 what's fascinating is that stretch, that learning, that development, kind of almost gives you, you know, strength not just in that area, but in other areas when you can link back and you can go, well, actually, well, if I can stand on stage and speak to a lot of people live, 
I'm on a radio show because there's only like two or three people in the studio I'm talking to. It's mm. it, it, all of a sudden, and that doesn't always translate. I'm going to be honest there. There's times when I've, so the singing's a good example. The, the singing, I really struggle to draw links and comparisons to other things to say, well, actually, I can be confident in this because the singing was so far outside of what I yep. know you day to day. But the speaking allowed me to train and coach more effectively. It allowed me yes. the, the radio show. Uh, and it's starting to bleed into other parts of uh, personal and business life. And it just, it helps to be able to go, no, I've done some challenging things and I've, I've stepped up to the plate and I've, and you're right, you know, the Mike Tyson quote, whatever it is, you know, doing some of the tough little bits of learning, you know, um, you know, learning a talk or getting to find it, all right, or learning how to drive a desk when you're a DJ. It's not things that I would naturally leap to or want to do, but you recognize there are things that you need to, you know, understand and be proficient at. To, to get the maximum enjoyment out of the things that you do end up doing that's that's really important yeah yeah and when you talk about it the bleeding over or the crossover um sometimes there's obvious links isn't there you know yeah. when the podcast gives you practice to do blah blah blah. but i think there's also just opportunities and everything because i was thinking about the the crossfit yes i mentioned crossfit again <laughs> but the point of that is i get really nervous the night before thinking about it and the day the morning of it and what but then i go anyway and when i'm yeah. there thoroughly enjoyed and there and there is a mini lesson in itself isn't it so yeah. it's a kind of looking at your life anyway and thinking well where are those mini lessons that i can do where i can i can either commit to or i'm already doing that i can take out that lesson so you're doing it anyway you know if you can do it here you can do it there it might be a little bit bigger scale it might be this it might be that but it's worth you know we are doing this and i think the point is recognizing that if it's a grand like you know that offer or somebody's put on the spot and thinking you know i have an opportunity here but it's going to be really hard. It's going to be stressful. There's a lot. I'm totally out of my comfort zone. I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm, you know, I'm pretty scared about the impact on work and balance, work-life balance and all that. But there's something about it. It's about, you know, that step and let it work itself out. I often say that there's a hundred reasons not to do something, but there's usually one great reason to do it. If, if there is, you know, you can always talk yourself out and, and just decide to do it, then work out how. Because if you try to work out how before you've decided, you'll talk yourself out of it. You, you, you give yourself almost an escape route. And, mm. and again, I was reflecting on some of the things that have had a bit of an impact and, and really helped me see the world um, you know, it, it, in this way. And, and, and yeah, I, I said at the start of the session, I, I love the title, The Restless Midlifer, because that really just, it just feels like it's me. It's just that's <laughs> me. Um, yeah. And it was um, Neil Pazrich's book, The Happiness Equation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's just lots of stuff he's brought in in terms of, you know, diverse bits of thinking and what makes you happy and what really makes you happy. And it was the, the little piece on, there's two bits in there that really stood out to me. The, the bit about retirement and it being kind of effectively a made-up thing that came from Germany and yeah. uh, it was to help the younger people in the workforce. That's not necessarily the best thing in the world for us. Uh, I, I don't necessarily plan retiring. I definitely plan doing less. But the other thing was this concept of regrets. And, you know, he, he talked about, uh, he, he shared some stuff from a, an end-of-life nurse and some of the conversations she had and, and the, the big regrets that people have, you know, without spoiling too much, one of them was clearly about being a, a, a lot happier in life. And, and I remember um, when my father passed away, he he talked about, he was, again, I got my passion from him, I mentioned that, um, you know, he was in a hospital and I didn't realize how ill he was at the time. And he was like, oh, I can't wait to get out to drive my car again. And so and you sat by his side. It was heartbreaking thinking, I know you're not going to get out of this bed. You're not going to drive that. And I thought, 
when I heard that, it instantly made me think, I do not want to be in his position at the my life going, I want to be doing this. I want to make sure when I reach that point and hope it's a long way off that I can get there going, God, you know, all the things that I really want to do, done. I've got those little, not, not the pictures on my phone, but I've got those proper Polaroid images in my head of those little blissful moments that you just go, this is almost perfection. In this moment right now, whatever I'm doing, and you know, there's, there's little moments in my life I can pick out where I can go, yeah, that was perfection. And that was just as close as you're gonna to get to, to being you know, the, the best thing in the world. And I want lots of those mental images to carry forward with me. I do not want that. Oh, if only I'd, and I wish I'd, and why didn't I? Yeah. Don't want any of that. Don't want any of that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, it, and it's, it's hard, isn't it, to break those habits mm. of sort of being in the, the pessimistic past or the, the worrying future. But it, it's, it's building up those memories and remembering to be here now a little bit more than we are. Um, and I think that's, that's really important. You know, I want to talk about how you support some people in terms of your coaching, but the, going back to your tattoo, not the tattoo, but the quote, <laughs> the quote, it's very challenging, isn't it, to, to, to say, just refresh, what's the quote say again? So, so, so the quote says, there is nothing in life you have to do. And you talked about the resistance you had and and you know i've i've seen you mention it and, and initially there is that resistance and for me it's it's an opportunity to play a thought exercise with that quote isn't it you know what if that were the case what would you do what could you do how would you, how do you how do you approach it when you meet that resistance in yourself and others you know i i, I think the first thing we all need to do is recognize so we've just talked about you know that kind of avoidance piece and that unconscious mind moving us away from stuff uh, and what you're doing there is you're putting something quite provoking, deliberately so, into somebody's way. And, mm. you know, I, I resisted it really strongly. And I, I like to play the, I certainly did back then, the, you know, the, 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 the smart ass who kind of knew better. And, oh, let me tell you about all the things I have to do. Yeah. And, and they're all made up stuff. And, it, uh, you know, if I'd been clever enough to think at the time, not just react, I would have spotted that. And we get this now, you know, I share it. And, I can, I, you know, if I'm doing a talk, I can almost see people sat there shaking their heads, go, oh, there's loads of stuff I've got to do. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need... And, and it's only when you um, help people open their eyes and go, actually, just let go of that. I get what you're saying, and I appreciate what you're saying, but just let go of that thought that you have to do something and tell me about the choices that you really have. And it's just fascinating how some people melt. There was So, so, so rather than coaching, we, one of the things that we do, Dave, is we – uh, and I know you and I have talked about this, but if people are listening, they won't know. We, we train coaches, so we give people the yes. fundamental techniques. for. And I remember we were training a bunch of new coaches, and I quite often use this expression with coaches just to understand the behavioral aspects of coaching, why we choose to do certain things and avoid certain things. Mm. And this guy hated it. Well, you're wrong, Neville. There's loads of stuff I've got to do. I'm, I'm stood there with a you know little flip chart you know, with a handwritten piece. There is nothing in life you have to do. No, God, there's loads of stuff. And right the way through day one of a three-day course, nope, nope, wrong, 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 wrong. And day two and day three, which are two and four weeks apart, he was still quite resistant, but he was, you can tell he's a bit more engaged. And um, I remember phoning his boss uh, after the third day, saying, you know, just a bit of feedback and how, and uh, he said, oh, you'll be able to know he's just left the business. What, sorry? He's just left the business. And he's quoted your training is one of the reasons why he left. I'm like, all right, and that's and you know when you have that moment of this could yeah. be good or this could be really bad. Clearly, I'm sharing it, so it can't be terrible. Let's just hope it's not terrible. We'll get there in a sec. 
I said, okay, tell me a bit more. And he went, well, we'd pushed him into this role to do these things. And do you know what? On reflection, we'd pushed him into a space that wasn't good for him and wasn't good for us. And, and that, that piece about there's nothing in life you have to do apparently really resonated with them. So we upped and left, like, all oh, right, okay, that's not the outcome. And, and we, we, you know, hey, that was fine. And they were all happy. And, and they said it was the best thing for him as an individual, the best thing for us as a business. But what was fascinating was when we ended up pitching for a bit of work, and I didn't know this at the time, by the way, into a business that he'd moved to. So this person had moved and uh, we pitched in and, and what they said is, you know, some organizations like this, well, we've got a senior team. Can we do a, a, a trial session with a senior team? Just, you know, I think it was four directors of this business. And if they like it, we'll take it forward and do something with it. And as it happened, th this guy who'd moved to this company, unbeknownst to me, saw the invite on his director's desk and he said, I, I don't care what you're doing or what you think is important. You need to be in this training because life changing. And it's that moment where you go, oh, hang on. I just took a challenging conversation. We had three days. We took some ideas. We played with a few thoughts. And you don't realize sometimes, Dave, and this is the power of a coach, I suppose, of being in training and development and helping and serving and supporting people. You can sometimes have those little, um, and I know a fellow speaker, Steve Houghton Burnett, I think his name there, talks about this a lot, the crucible moment. So he talks about, and it's that little moment where people get fired up and go, yeah, that's what I'm going to go and do. Or I can see a change here or a pivot, or I'm not enjoying that. I'm going to ditch that. And I think just being present at one of those moments can be challenging, can be rewarding, and can give you something to reflect on and that you've, you've had an impact with those around you. So, so for me, you know, that tattoo and that expression, there is nothing in life you have to do. I find it's a great conversation starter and it's one you can loop back to on a regular basis. So, you know, if, if, if you genuinely accept there's nothing you have to do, you know, tell me the three things you could do today to make you really happy. Tell me the three things you could do this week, this month, this year to make you really happy. Tell me the three things that would change your relationship with your friends and family to make you really happy. Tell me the three things you do at work that would make you really happy. And at the end of the day, if we get some of them right, that's got to be a huge win, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're not saying there isn't consequences to a choice that you make as a result of that. Yes. But it's working out what the consequence is yourself and then thinking it through. Because we're not saying just burn your life down, chuck a grenade in your life. We are taking the idea of just think about it, think yeah. through the consequences, but allow yourself, give yourself permission just for this process. And it's amazing yeah. what comes out of that, isn't it? It is, and you know, uh, you know, I often talk about you know the choices that we get, uh, uh, followed by our behaviour. Then you know that gives us the consequence. So it's 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 choice behaviour consequence. And what's really interesting as a co coach is, um, you know, we quite often end up talking about consequences. Well, this is where I'm at right now. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh, and then you know, people are generally quite comfortable to talk about the choices. Well, I could do this and I could do that. But when you start looking at their behavior, the bit in the middle, the glows, the glues that start and finish together, well, I don't like the consequences. Well, what choices did you have? Well, I had these. Ah, but let me tell you about, no, 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 no. You understand that your behavior at that moment is your choice. And, you know, this links back to, well, there's nothing in life you have to do. So your behavior around that choice gives you your consequence. And everything comes with positive and negative consequences. And we just need to look and understand that. And, yeah, there's sometimes pain. You need to let go of things and you need to, you know, finish things that aren't working and change things up. 
but, but if it's genuinely something that you really want, if it's a consequence you are so desperate to get to, you need to understand that journey, um, the wins you're going to have along the way, and some of the pain you're going to have because you're changing, you're growing, and you're developing. And I think we all need to appreciate and understand that. Yeah, and it's this recognition that you you illustrated when you were you were talking about your your BT experience. You know the the time in the swimming yeah. pool. You didn't suddenly just get out of that pool and ring them up or or send them a you know a, a, <laughs> you didn't just. But you reflected. But you allowed yourself to do that. And I think this is the point, isn't it? That um, that can in itself can feel scary, could because it's almost like you open Pandora's box and stuffing it back in once you've allowed yourself is is challenging. Um, yes. But more often than not, if you then consider the ecology of your life, there is a way. There is a way to move in that direction. Um, and for me, you know, I've bimbled for years because I didn't have the kind of stuff that we're talking about. You know, there, there was um, there wasn't just there wasn't the the amount of support out there in that sense. You know, I think coaching was just becoming a bit of a thing in in the UK, and it was a bit you know didn't it was a bit of the wild west they talk about in coaching, don't they? Um, but I think that. Allowing yourself that process and going on the journey is something that, you know, you talk about some of those successes. It's like you don't know where it's going to end, but if you stay present, consider it, make decisions, you make mistakes, but you're moving, you're heading that way. It, it, it is, and it's, you know, there's the, and I'm going to be honest, Dave, there's lots of opportunities and ideas and thoughts I've walked past uh, and, and not followed up. And so then you look back and you kind of go, God, you know, I, I really should have stuck at that, or I really should have pursued that. And it, it's funny, I was I, I, I spoke to a, a bunch of students, um, I think it was Durham University before Christmas, and they, you know, they wanted to know, and it was about technology and starting business and entrepreneurship, and that's the you know, kind of stuff that get, kind of really floats my boat. And what was fascinating is, you know, what's your background? I, went, uh, I set up my first e commerce business in about 1996. <laughs> They're like, Oh, I wasn't even born then. Yeah, no, you weren't born then, but I had. And, and, and you know, way back then, we were selling artwork online in 96 and taking payment, and it was stuff I knew nothing about. I'm just going to – and, and uh, you know, we kind of gave up the website and we stepped back from it. We, we, we made a few quid, but not much. And it's like if I'd stuck at that and developed that idea of building e-commerce websites back then, you know, God, I would have had 25, 26 years' experience now – that would be quite a big thing in e-commerce because not many people have that level of support. Um, you know, and, and my passion for cars, I've got a friend who's a, a really great um, physicist and engineer. I've got another friend who's really great commercially. And, and we are out for a walk probably about nine months ago. I said, do you know what? We should put our heads together, guys. We've got the skill set between us. We should start electrifying classic cars. Let's go and you know, skill ourselves up, understand how the electrics of a, a classic, sorry, electrics work to drive a car, and let's, you know, put, set ourselves up. We can grab some good mechanics and stuff. And, the, and they're both, oh, yeah, you know, as your good friends do, all not long ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of conversation over a pint. But I met one literally two weeks ago for, you know, walk and a chat, and he suddenly said, that idea, we really should have done that. And I'm like, how many times have you had those little moments of inspiration, those ideas? and chosen not to now not every every dear sorry not every idea is right at every kind of given moment in time but, but it's only when we reflect like you say when i reflected on my bt moment uh, and you look at stuff critically and in the cold light of day and you can say actually this is a route i might need to pursue so i'm not saying i'm not going to go electrifying classic cars but we just didn't nine months ago whether we do in nine months time yeah. unlikely but you never know yeah. you never know yeah. 
Yeah, and it's yeah. it's that possibles, isn't it? Um, I've had, uh, well, you know, Ron Lawson, Dr. Ron Lawson, he, yeah. he talks about um, the just suppose yeah. approach and w wouldn't it be nice? And the point of that, asking yourself that question is it, it allows you to take off perhaps a critical mind for a moment to generate the ideas. Then you work it out. Dave Hall, who, um, I don't know if you were in for his PSA talk when he, he talked the creative, he's talking about creativity and, and what have you. But one of the things he talks about is novel but useless. And the idea is you've got to generate novel but useless ideas, and then yeah. you can work out how to make it useful. And yeah. I love that approach, and it's a similar thing for coaching is, how can I just generate some ideas that you think, there's no way that's going to work, or whatever. So what? Just let the ideas out. Let's just play with them, and then see what might stick. Because it sounds like there, there's been loads of opportunities. It's not about kicking yourself for not doing this, that, and the other. There's lots of things you could do, but allowing yourself to work that out, and then picking one to play with... Yeah. And, and potentially move forward. It, it's it, it's fascinating. We 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 have a story that illustrates this, and we have a it, it's it's fascinating. We run a little exercise. So one of the things that we we focus on as a business, one of the areas that we uh, delivered, and we delivered this for about eight years now, is something called the real client journey, where we break down some of the myths about what a client journey is and how it works, and you know see the world from their perspective. Most of the world says, "Oh yeah, we do that." And, no, you don't really. Let me explain why. And one of the things we do in the exercise always runs in this format. We say to folks, okay, you have unlimited resource, unlimited people and unlimited money. What would you do? And people come up with the smallest ideas that you possibly think of. Oh, could we do like kind of branded cupcakes? And you go, y you absolutely can do branded cupcakes. And that's a brilliant idea. But in a universe where you have unlimited people, unlimited resources, unlimited money, that's not reaching very, all oh, right, okay. And what happens, and we find this time and time again, Dave, is people get squashed in organizations and their creativity gets squeezed out of them. And people are really quick to, to and the, the expression we use is fire hose, and the, you know, use that specific expression. So somebody comes up with a creative idea and there's a manager or a peer or a colleague or somebody with almost, you know, kind of that huge fire hose that almost knocks somebody off the feet. As soon as they've come up with a creative idea, and they get the creativity knocked out of them by this massive jet of water coming towards them. And, and, and if we've got time for like a four-minute story, would that be okay? Is that, is that going to fit in? Go for it, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so allegedly, and I'm going to put this in, because we have contact this firm to see if it's true. There's a firm in the state called Pacific Power and Light. Okay. And they have this piece about they, um, they have this policy of no fire hosing. So if somebody does come up with a creative idea, they're allowed to run with it for a bit to see what's going on, to explore it and just test it. You know, the, 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 the how do you describe it? The um, the idea that's um, different but useless, yeah? Novel so, so but you, useless, yeah. Novel but useless, sorry, yeah. So, so, so they allow people to come up with the novel but useless ideas and play with it. And and, and again, so we've contacted them to see if this is true or not. But anyway, they have this policy in place. They had a particular issue in the middle of the States where power lines, the big thick cables between... Uh, uh, you know, uh, all the electricity pylons were freezing up, getting too heavy and snapping. So um, they had a couple of instances where they sent engineers to remote parts of the state, which is really tough. How do you get there? How do you get people set there safely? You know, it's winter, there's issues, all these things. So what they wanted to do was come up with some creative ideas of how they fix this issue. So they bring in, and this is how we recommend doing it, not just the engineering team, they bring in um, operations team, uh, admin support, whoever. They just bring in a diverse group of people to, to, to give this cognitive diversity, this 
diversity of thought and ideas. Uh, and as part of the session, they're talking about it, talking about it, and they stop for a coffee break. And one of the engineers says, do you know what, a couple of years ago, up a, you know, kind of fixing a cable in winter, looked down, brown bear below me. Brown bear scared the life out of me, didn't think I'd survive. Um, fortunately, you did survive because you could tell the story. If you didn't survive, this would be a really short story. But, but he, you know, he talked about this over coffee, and they got back in the room. And it's okay, so the problem we face is power lines getting too heavy, getting covered in ice. How do we fix this? And somebody said, why don't we get brown bears to shake the poles? Now, because you're smiling, because in a traditional business, somebody would go, well, that's a stupid idea, and it would go no further. That would be the end of it. But rather than this fire hose, and they have this no fire hose, okay, so, so brown bears to shake the poles. Okay, let's explore that. So this is the, the novel but useless idea brought to life. Uh, and, and what happened was they said, okay, well, you know, what's going to motivate a brown bear to, to shake a pole? No idea. Well, you know, think cartoon style. What motivates about? Well, let's get some honey. Okay, let's get some honey. And what we'll do is we'll put honey on top of the poles. So the bear shake the poles, honey drops off, bear's happy, poles are then free of ice. Great, everybody's happy. And so he goes, That's a great idea. But how do we get honey on top of the poles in the first place? Because you know, all right, okay. So, so you can see where this is going. Well, you well, actually probably can't see where this is going. Well, let's hire a helicopter. And the helicopter can drop fresh supplies of honey on the poles. Bear see the fresh honey, go and shake poles. And it was that moment, apparently, uh, where one of the secretaries in the meeting, she'd served in Vietnam and said, you've all missed it, haven't you? And they went, well, what have we missed? She went, if you hire a helicopter and fly it over the power lines, the downwash from the rotor blades will actually clear the ice. <laughs> we don't need the bears. We don't need the honey. All we Love need this. is the helicopter. Yeah. And what's fascinating is they only actually, uh, uh, and again, I just I put the word allegedly in again, they only allegedly got to that answer because nobody firehosed the bear. So sometimes the helicopter yes. at the end is at the end because you have to go through all these kind of crazy ideas. Um, but most uh, businesses stop at the bear and go, no, that's a stupid idea. Let's not talk about it. Yeah. And one of my biggest wins, and it was with the bank, we ran this session. And out of everything that we ran, I think 10 months we ran the program, one of their, uh, their senior team came, came to me and said, I'm now going to take a couple of hours of bears and honey time every month just to think creatively and come up with some new ideas because we're just such, we're sticking in the mud and we're not thinking about these things. That's a massive win. So how many times do we squash ideas commercially or personally because they're just a bit far out there? The bear shaking the pole uh, to get the honey to break the ice which gives you the helicopter the solution that you really want. So that's what we use. That's what we play with. I love that. Bears and honey. So you're talking about that. Um, the, giving yourself that bears and honey time personally, whether with a journal or going for a walk or something to allow yourself to do that, sounds like a really good way to, to kickstart this, doesn't it? But I often think that in order to get to any place where you want to move, you know, in that the direction of travel that you want, you've firstly got to a recognize that you, you're dissatisfied with life. Yeah. Then the next thing is you've got to stop pushing it down and telling yourself you're stupid and don't be selfish and all that kind of thing. Then you've got to have a little bit of hope to see it could be different. Yeah. Then it's into methodology of how, you know, how do I do yeah. that? And that's obviously coaching and all that. But but personally, there's nothing, there's nothing stopping any of us if we're at that point where we go, well, maybe it could be a little bit different. No idea. No idea. I used to think, like, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. You know, I have, you know, that kind of thing. But 
I want to. Have, I just want to do more of the things I like and less of the things I don't like. And I know there's always things I don't like that have got to be in there, but try and just minimize that. But in order to get there, you've got to start dreaming. You've got to start this novel, but useless. But I love that bear and honey time. So yes. I guess that's the takeaway for the listeners, isn't it? Is um, can you build in some bear and honey time? And how would you do it? Would you are you somebody like me who needs a pen and paper in the hand, you know, that kind of thing? Or are you somebody who would do it on a walk for 10, 20 minutes a week or half an hour a week, an hour a week, something like that? I, I think a couple of ways for me is um firstly kind of making a note of ideas as they pop in your head. Mm. So just, you know, whatever format that is, whether that's a voice note to yourself, an email to yourself. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of emailing myself when I'm out and about. Yeah. I do a lot of walking in that mindfulness of just being in a moment often spits out some what-if moments, and I, I love them. It's funny, I was writing some new content this morning, and, and I started with a mind map, and I thought, I have no idea where to start with this. I've, I've, I've drawn the middle kind of, you know, little piece of my mind map, and I've drawn the first arm coming out, and I'm looking at it going, just write, just start writing and see what happens. And you kind of wrote, oh, that's, yeah, oh, and there's that. And I end up with this, I was like, oh, I need a second page here. I'm kind of full at the minute. And I started today with, Oh, I don't know where I'm going to get these ideas from. And I think a lot of us shut ourselves down when it comes to ideas, and we don't let these unusual bears and honey things come out because we're so conditioned not to think of the weird, the wonderful, the the wacky, whatever's out there. Uh, and I think you know whatever method works. A walk. I used to. I don't need more because I've, I've I've damaged my knees. But when I used to run, I used to draw this idea, and I and I couldn't quite explain this. I used to say running was one of those ideas where if you imagined your brain as lots of blocks of wood all stacked up, running would bounce these blocks of wood up and down and they'd land when you finish your run in just a slightly different order. And that slightly different order and perspective would be new ideas, new ways of working. All it is is you know, running is quite mindful because it just focuses your mind on nothing and everything at once. And I think I've recaptured that with walking, which takes a little longer, but that's fine. But, but then just allowing some creative time, find somewhere new, find somewhere different. Uh, we've done it with post-it notes before. So as a business, one of the things that we want to do is create some new content. We took every bit of content that we delivered because they've all got titles. Uh, and literally, we'd grab two at random and go, right, if we stuck these two things together, and you look at it and you go, nah, that would never work in a million years. And other times, you grab two together and go, wow, that would be a brilliant thing. So some of the content for our training of coaches and some of our content for client journey workshops have come out of this creative, how do you just mash things together that don't belong together to see if they might create something new and novel and, and useful in this case. So yeah, it's I think you find a route that works for you, but, but I think you need to dedicate some creative time. And probably most importantly, I learned this, and I can't think of the speaker's name, so apologies for this, somebody just shared that idea of, if you want to access your creative brain, tell yourself when you're going to do it. Uh, so, you know, next Friday at 2 o'clock, I'm going to sit down with a cup of tea and be creative. It sounds mad, but but you find yourself bang at 2 o'clock with a cup of tea and ideas just flow out. And it happens because your unconscious mind has had plenty of time to work on it, and you're far more prepared than you ever think you might be. You sit down and think, oh, blank sheet of paper, a cup of tea. Where was oh, there's that, and there's that. And before you know it, you're an hour late, and you're going, I've got loads of brilliant ideas. But because, and we've talked about this whole idea from the start, none of us have enough time, but we need to create that time and space physically and mentally to get those things done. Absolutely. And I think there's a couple of things there. You, you, you talk about capturing it. And I think capture is, a, is both important 
but also a useful way to to provoke that honey bear time when you do it. So I think capturing, uh, had Dr. Linda Shaw on, um, and she's a neuroscientist, and, and you, you know Linda, um, and she talks about that that the, the very brainwave states that you can get into. For, you know, when you just wake up, that's a, that's a time. Rather than pick your phone up, have five minutes just in that almost dreamy, wakey up state, or go for a walk or something. They're different beta waves of it. Well, I, I don't know the terminology that they, they are, but they all create different things. And the challenge is to capture because yeah. how many times have you had the idea that'll fix the world? I've had loads yeah. of them. I just can't remember any of them because I never captured them. And the thing is, if you can capture them, then use your bear and honey time to maybe look through, post it, note them or whatever. I think that's a great one. But you're right about the priming, the, the power of the subconscious. Yeah. In You know what it's like if you, if, you know, I know we all use alarm clocks in case we forget, but at the times when I've forgotten to set my alarm, but I've known I have to be up. I've been up 10 minutes before because the brain just is capable of priming you for different states. And, uh, I, you know, I'm by no means a neuroscientist, so I don't fully understand how it works, but there is something about that. Or going to bed and giving your mind a problem to solve or a, something to come up with overnight, you know. Have a think about this and letting subconscious work on it. There's, 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 some, there's some really interesting science to support the, ben- the power of that, isn't it? There is, and I think it's you know you know I, I'm a big fan of Linda, and you know we, we do like a bit of neuroscience, and you know we like to include a bit of um, the neuro-based psychology that, in some of the work that we do, and you know I think what's fascinating is we're just starting to understand some of this. Yeah. So you know people like Linda are probably a bit more clued up than I am, but it's fascinating when you start reading in and understanding some of the things that you know really help us think in different and creative ways, and. I remember we came up with a term for one of our clients. This is nearly nine years ago of an idea safe. What? So just t- t- take your ideas and lock them away in a safe. And then when you have your bears and honey time, review them and play with them yeah. and think about them. Or watch it an idea safe. Be, well, what do you want? And they, they went off and bought something physical and wrote little notes and put it in there. I have an idea safe um, uh, file in my email. So if I, just, if I have a, a quirky idea, I'll email it to myself. I'll file it in that, and when I want to create a half an hour or an afternoon, I'll pull the ideas out and look at And some of them you look and go, that's the most ridiculous thing on the planet. That's not going to work. And that's fine. You kind of go, okay, that's, you know, that was something creative. And another bit, you go, that's not a stretch to do right now. And you can, you can implement some stuff really quickly. The key is have a structure, have a framework, find a process that works for you. And like you say, prime your brain to do this yeah. real heavy lifting for you. I think that's yeah. a fascinating way of doing it. I love that. And just on that, I call mine the larder and the compost. <laughs> and that, that's only because I use routers. It's basically a place. So I, I wing my emails to the larder for those things that I'll check in. You know, the larder is like your store that you might need yeah. in the next few weeks. Um, and then I have the compost for the things I can't quite let go of, but I know would normally go in the bin. But you know what happens at a compost? It all meshes together and turns into something wonderful. So I, have, I review, It's it, you know, we clearly take this stuff seriously because I review that weekly and monthly, the larder weekly, the compost monthly. And, you know, a lot of the time nothing comes out of them. But sometimes you get some real, like, you think, my, God, let's use that, you know. So I think you're right. It's it's capturing, having somewhere to store them, and then checking in and having your bear on honey time. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and then I guess it's, you know, in terms of that process is how do you start to move through? If you think of an idea or something to try, I often talk about try something small and sprout sweat it, you know, try and play, practice, don't give up, you know, and burn your bridges and do all of that. Have a play and see where it might take you. 
Yeah, and, and I think for me, Dave, the bit that I've, and again, this is something I've, I've, I've recognised through midlife is I know when I'm good and creative and get things done. Uh, and if you'd asked me in my twenties, I wouldn't have had a clue. It just, it was like, yeah. you, I wouldn't have even understood that in, in a moment. But I can tell you, my most creative time is probably around six thirty till about nine thirty. So I've got something in the morning. I should say, sorry, not in the evening. Terrible in the evening. Uh, <laughs> if I if I want to tackle something new and something different and play with some of these ideas, I schedule some time and then block my diary out. And that's exactly what I did this morning. That's my creative time. I don't know what I'm going to do, but hey, do you know what? We've got a page full of notes for something new, um, and that only comes from you know priming, thinking, having a process, and then scheduling in some proper time to go and do this. That's that's a really important piece. Yeah, absolutely. It's just carving out a, a bit of that time. For me, I'm, it's later in the afternoon, evening, because I am yeah. hopeless on a morning. But I think you're right. It's finding your own place to do that. That's brilliant. I think I'm, I'm conscious of time, and we, this is our part two, and I think we've already gone well. <laughs> been really enjoyable, Never, and thank you. Um, I guess just to sort of part, um, uh, shout out, we'll, we'll add your links and such and such yeah. in the show notes, but um, where can people get a hold of you, learn more about you, and... Um, any requests or asks? Yeah, I think um, you know probably the best place to find me. I hang out a lot on let's say Twitter on LinkedIn. <laughs> I should know which which platform I play on. <laughs> um, but the, the book was written about LinkedIn, so I'm probably on LinkedIn. If you want to come and find me, uh, you, I'll provide you the email address. So come to the website, have a look online, uh, and I think really it's just um, I'm, I'm fascinated if somebody has a need or something they want to have a, a chat about, and they're not quite sure where it's going to go. Just reach out and drop me a message, connect on with me on LinkedIn, drop me an email, and I love to have a conversation. And some of the conversations that I've started with people as a, well, I don't know what I need or want, or and I've built collaborative partners, we've built programs for customers, we've signposted people in the right direction, we've helped people along the way. So if if folks are feeling a little bit lost and go, I'm not quite sure if Neville could help me with this, and for us, it's traditionally around business, business development. We also do the one-to-one -one coaching. Just reach out and have a conversation. And if we can't help, we'll tell you that really clearly. And we'll try and signpost you in the best possible place for you. That's that's the best thing I'd suggest, Dave. Brilliant, mate. Cheers. And thank you for your time. Thank you for bearing us with on attempt number two. I think we've, we've got it in the can now. Uh, some great things to share, some great stories. Yay. And that, that inspiration that you can if you just allow yourself, I think is really, really important, particularly when you're in that point in life, where whatever it is, you know, we call the bed restless midlife, but it's that point in life where you go, is this it? Like, you know, is there more to it? So I think you, it's been really great to share some thoughts and ideas on that, Nev. Thank you for your time. No, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Restless Midlifer. For more links and details relating to the episode and the show, visit restlessmidlifer.com. And it would really help if you go to the show in your podcast app, click on review, and then rate the show and share why you value it. Until next time, proudly live your own restless midlife. Take care.